After another close loss, the Seahawks remain on the outside looking into the NFC playoff race, but they're not eliminated yet. We're going to be discussing the piling up injuries for the Seahawks as they head into their Week 17 game against the Jets, plus some Monday musings looking back at Saturday's loss to the Chiefs in a jam-packed Monday episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Monday post-Christmas episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Hope all of the 12s out there have had a fantastic holiday season here. And if you celebrate Christmas, hopefully get to spend some time with your friends and family and enjoy a great holiday. Unfortunately, the Seahawks losing again on Christmas Eve to the Kansas City Chiefs, a 24-10 defeat. There's plenty of plot, uh, positives for us to glean from this game. Obviously, when you lose, there's plenty of negatives as well. So we're going to be dishing out our Monday musings, our post-game takeaways for most of this episode. And we're going to look at the injuries that are piling up for the Seahawks with two games left to play in the 2022 regular season. So without further ado, let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. The Seahawks now find themselves under 500 for the first time since way back in week five after a 24 to 10 loss to the Chiefs. And unfortunately, with them being on the outside looking in, even though they're not eliminated from the playoff race, Rob, it's not necessarily looking good with two games left to play on the injury front. Tyler Lockett still questions about whether he's going to be able to come back this week. They certainly missed him in Kansas City, but maybe an even bigger red flag when we see Abe Lucas with the injury patellar tendon next to it and not knowing what that means for his certainty to play here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Pete Carroll went on his usual weekly show on 710 AM Corbin. And he kind of discussed the fact that, uh, that Abe Lucas has suffered some, some type of patellar tendon injury. There's going to be some imaging done. We'll know more about Seattle's really exciting rookie right tackle here soon. Um, we, we did see Stone Forsyth come into the game. I thought that he played fairly well for Seattle down the stretch. As you mentioned, uh, you know, Seattle's offense, of course, struggled to get anything going in the first half. In the second half, there were some glimmers, and Stone Forsyth was part of that. Um, so, again, I think that there were some encouraging signs in that regard. But at the same time, you just feel terrible about the fact that Abe Lucas is potentially facing a significant uh, injury and potentially recovery recovery that you never know could go all the way into next season. Um, you already mentioned the Tyler Lockett injury, obviously being out. Um, I, I think that, that just the fact that, that Seattle needed him in this game. I think that it was very obvious how much uh, of a factor that he has been for the Seahawks um, and how much that, uh, you know, frankly, Marquise Goodwin and Laquan Treadwell struggled in, uh, you know, in it being his replacement. That just wasn't the, the same reliability in terms of routes, in terms of hands um, that we have seen in the past. Will Disley having a knee contusion, um, you know, Joey Blunt now on IR with a knee injury of his own. And that's obviously very concerning for, uh, you know, former undrafted free agent. We've been, you know, kind of chomping at the bit to see some opportunities for him. Uh, Al Woods and Ryan Neal, their, their injuries, they're still up in the air for this upcoming weekend's game. A must win, obviously, uh, with the New York Jets coming into town. And those two play positions that are critical 
against the Jets. So there are a lot of very concerning injury news out there. One thing I do want to kind of mention on the injury front um, is, again, just a little bit of positivity, but just the fact that Ken Walker the third was able to kind of gut through his performance. I thought that he was absolutely spectacular at times against the Chiefs and really one of the very few reasons why the Seahawks even deserved to be on the same field as the Chiefs in that game. Yeah, Walker had a fantastic finish in particular. First half really didn't have a fighting chance a lot of the time. In the second half, we'll talk about this more, I'm sure, but had some opportunities that they were able to create some creases for him, get him out in space toward the perimeter, and he was able to do quite a bit of damage in the second half. And I do think it's encouraging that after not practicing at all last week, he was able to tote the rock 26 times in this game. And so I think the Seahawks are going to be handling him. I mentioned this last week. They're going to be taking care of him the rest of the season. I wouldn't be shocked if he's very limited in practice this week leading up to their matchup with the Jets just to make sure that he's fully ready to go. We see a lot of teams do this with their bell cow running back, especially with the other injuries that Seattle has had at that position in recent weeks as well. So that is good news. But I just, you know, you you listen to Pete Carroll when he answers questions about injuries, and I always try to look for key words. And I heard him still mention concern when it comes to Al Woods and Ryan Neal. And that obviously raises that red flag a little bit, in particular with Woods being an older player who's dealing with an Achilles injury that we were under the impression wasn't anything major. It was just an old injury that flared up, but it's not gotten better. And even though there's a chance he could play this weekend, it doesn't necessarily sound like they're sure that that's going to happen. Ryan Neal, maybe they're a little more clear with him. He just needed a week off with all the injuries he's been playing through, and they're hoping that rest he can come back and play this weekend. But there are so much uncertainty here with key players. Tyler Lockett was running around today when we were speaking with Pete Carroll in his press conference, but obviously we're not concerned about his running ability. He didn't have a lower body injury. It's can he catch the football? And they're not going to really know that until later this week. He's going to be begging to play, and he's going to be battling trainers on that. But We'll see if it actually happens. That would be a very quick turnaround. So you've got Lockett, you've got Woods, you've got Neal. I thought the two safeties that came in for Ryan Neal did some decent things. In, in particular, Jonathan Abram, I thought, made a couple of really nice plays. They also got beat a couple of times. And so you could clearly see that they were missing Ryan Neal out there. So those are three players that are key. And if Will Disley's banged up, if Abraham Lucas is banged up, and either one of those guys misses this next week, I mean, those are all significant starting caliber football players that you would be missing for a absolute must win to keep your playoff hopes alive. And you're going to need some help now to get into the postseason. So it's not ideal, but almost every team is dealing with injuries this time of year. The Seahawks have overall had a fairly healthy season, aside from Jamal Adams going down early in the year, Rashad Penny going down. They've generally been a healthier team than most, but it started to catch up with them a little bit late in the season with some key players on both sides of the ball getting banged up. And that certainly is not the storyline that you want going into the final two weeks of the season when you've lost five of your past six and you're barely hanging on to a playoff threat. Yeah, that's the thing, is that it, it does feel like Seattle has been relatively unscathed in, as far as injuries, and yet they still are stumbling as much as they are over the second half of the season. I think that there's a lot of clubs out there that once you start to see them lose a bunch of their superstars, then you know it's it's logical that they would kind of fall apart. That, that Again, that's not been the case with Seattle. It's just been physically getting whipped along the line of scrimmage, um, you know, both on the offensive and defensive sides of, of the football. And, and so to me, that's the most concerning thing is that um, Seattle has kind of hit a wall 
uh, I think literally and figuratively a little bit here. Um, and, and that's what they're going to have to try to get changed around over these next couple of weeks. And then if, you know, you get lucky enough to get into the playoffs, they're obviously going to have to be that much more physical if they're going to have any chance of success as the number seven seed. And right now, unfortunately, they can't worry necessarily about whether somebody's going to be available for the wild card round. You got to get in first. So uh, players are going to be putting everything on the line. Guys that are playing at 70, 75 percent, maybe in other situations, you could rest them. The Seahawks don't have that luxury right now. They want to get in the playoffs. They have to at minimum win these two games coming up. And then they're going to need some help. They're going to need the commanders or the Giants or the Packers. They're going to need a couple of those teams to slip up here over the final two weeks, and they're going to have to do what they haven't been able to do for the last month and a half, find a way to win consecutive games. It's going to be that much tougher with the injuries they've got, but maybe a lot of these names you just mentioned will be able to get on the field on Sunday at Lumen Field. That would certainly be a bolstering factor for the Seahawks going into this, really what's a de facto playoff game against another team that's battling for their playoff lives in the Jets. Coming up next, we're going to look back at Saturday's loss to the Kansas City Chiefs, our Monday musings. We're going to go offense in the second segment, defense in the second or third segment. So we're going to dish out a bunch of takeaways in today's show. We'll get to offense coming up next year on our Monday episode of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. It's week 16 of the 2022 season, and I'm counting on Justin Herbert throwing a trio of touchdowns against the struggling Colts on Monday Night Football. That might not seem like a bold leap ever since the Colts had Jeff Saturday hired, but with Prize Picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. That's no competing against other people. It's just you. First of the projections available and price picks off of projections on any sport that you watch, whether it's the NFL, NBA, MLB, college football, MMA, or even disc golf. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy with safe and fast withdrawals. Safe and fast withdrawals. Currently, it's operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the Price Picks app or go to PricePicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, Price Picks will give you $100. Don't forget to enter the promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks post-Christmas edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there who make Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And for your second listen, don't forget to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast from the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today it's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. All right, Rob, it's time to talk about that unfortunate defeat at Arrowhead Stadium. The offense going in a deep freeze for the Seahawks. Sub-zero temperatures with the wind chill, and the offense looked like it for most of this game. And yet, they had almost 50 more yards of offense than the Chiefs in this football game. A lot of that coming in the second half. They were able to do some good things. But the bottom line is they can't seem to sustain drives and they can't finish them. And that has been a theme for the last six weeks. And that's why they're one in five in those contests. Yeah, I love that you, you let off there with the positive that the fact that the Seahawks did finish with more total yards than the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, that one is a shocker to me. I certainly didn't expect that.
I thought this was varsity versus JV basically from the outset. Um, I, I thought that the Kansas City again just kind of dominated Seattle the line of scrimmage. And again, this wasn't a, a surprise. We talked about this prior to the 49ers game, certainly prior to this Kansas City game, that you know Seattle is just a little bit overmatched along the line of scrimmage. What I was really concerned about is I really thought that there would be times where Damian Lewis might get the better of Chris Jones, basically Seattle's best against Kansas City's best. And maybe there were some draws, um, but there wasn't a lot of wins from Seattle against Chris Jones. I thought that George Karloftis, the rookie, and this is going to be one of the themes I'm going to talk about here, that they made a lot of plays. A lot of Kansas City's rookies were the ones making the big plays, with the exception, again, being Ken Walker III. I, I thought that he was Seattle's best player. I think that in a lot of the games, it's been Geno Smith, hands down. I thought that Geno had a pretty solid game as well. DK Metcalf, too. But I thought that Ken Walker and the types of runs in which he had, to me, were really telling. So many of them were cutbacks. And that, to me, is saying, again, Seattle is getting whipped along the line of scrimmage. But the running back is so talented, has such great vision, has such great stop, start, and burst ability to him. That's what makes Seattle dynamic. And so, to me, that was the, the difference in the second half is that Seattle committed to the running game almost to a fault. And that they basically just like, well, hey, we're just going to run the football now. And I just wish that they would have started off with that type of go get them mentality instead of basically having the same mindset that I thought that, that I had walking into that game, that you're already behind by 21 points. Can you just keep this game manageable, not get in, uh, embarrassed on, on television? Yeah, the run game was certainly a positive, at least in the second half. As Pete Carroll mentioned today, it was actually from a question for me. The second half, they were able to finally get rid of the negative plays that were plaguing them really for the last two months on offense. And I guess that's my lead in here before I get to the positives with the run game, because there were some really good things that happened in the second half. The thing that is hurting this football team, and it's hurting the defense as well. This is one of those that's a domino effect. When you are not efficient on first and second down, the first thing it does, it puts you in really bad third downs consistently. I think I counted seven times that they were third and 10 or worse in this football game on Saturday. And then they had 18 plays that were non-sacks, non-penalties. So we're just talking straight up passes or runs here that weren't sacks. They had 18 plays. That was a season high where they got zero or negative yards on first and second down. 18 plays, Rob. You can't win football games doing that unless you somehow on third and 10 get a bunch of explosives, which the Seahawks did not do in this football game. And that is really difficult to do. When you get put in those third and longs, it makes life so much easier for the defense. There's no mystery what you're going to do. You're going to be throwing the football. Or if you're way back deep towards the end zone, you can wave the white, the Mike Holmgren white flag and run a draw or a screen. And the Seahawks don't have a very big playbook. Nobody has a big playbook when you're in third and 10. And this has been a problem really since that game in Munich. Going back to week nine, I wrote an article today about this. They are barely converting 30% of their third down opportunities. They're 29th in the NFL since week nine. Before that game against the Buccaneers in Munich, they were number five in the NFL at over 45% on third down. So that's a very stark difference. But really what has been the symptom there has been the first and second down efficiency. Geno Smith still has a passer rating over 100, but it's 19 points lower than what it was. So he hasn't been as good. We know the run game up till this week in the second half has been really poor. 
And you blend those with the fact the offensive line is not playing near as well, protecting the quarterback. Geno Smith was under pressure a lot in this football game, in particular the first half, which I think definitely made it that he was pressing, and we've seen that some. I just can't put a lot of this on number seven, especially when I rewatch the game. There were some really difficult plays where he was just trying to get the football out and the offensive line wasn't creating those opportunities. Tough fourth downs that they were trying to convert, and it all goes back to first and second down. The offensive line in particular in the interior getting dominated. You're getting all these tackles in the backfield. Geno Smith's trying to dump the ball off right after he takes a snap because there's pass rushers coming after him, and then you get a zero-yard gain on a throw to the outside. I mean, there's just too many of those throwaway plays right now for this offense, and then that means you have less possession time and the defense is on the field a bunch, and they're eventually going to cave in and give up big plays. It's an endless cycle. They did get out of that sum in the second half with the run game, but they still couldn't finish drives. Yeah, and I love that you took the time to, to count out that there were 18 plays of zero or negative yardage. I mean, that, that just is mind-boggling. I mean, of course, you're, you're not going to win, at least not consistently, when, when that is going to be the case. And you're a team that prides itself on re-establishing the line of scrimmage from a moving forward standpoint and and yet that has just not been the case um you know and so again to me that was basically the, the game in a nutshell um I, I think that it's uh very astute of you to kind of point out the fact that it's basically been since that tampa bay buccaneers loss and that's really where seattle's running game which have been so good with uh ken walker the third and of course previously with rashad penny that it had been so dynamic that was the biggest reason that in turnovers on defense uh turnovers created by seattle defense, I guess I should say, those to me were the, the band-aids that were kind of hiding the wounds that I think that we all were, we saw so clearly heading into the season and then were maybe a little bit fooled when Seattle started off the year so well. But I, I want to kind of get back to one of the points I tried to make in earlier, just the, the loss of Tyler Lockett and how significant it was. I, I just thought that it, it came down to times in this game, Corbin, where it basically was like, all right, throw the ball at DK and just hope for the best. And that obviously is not a recipe that's going to work very well. You can see some of the other teams that have dynamic wide receivers. If they just focus on their one dynamic receiver, like, say, the Las Vegas Raiders, Devontae Adams, that's not going to get you, you know, the first seed in the playoffs. It's going to have you on the back end trying to, to sneak into the playoffs, so to speak. Um, and, and so that, to me, is what it felt like. that We just didn't see a secondary target really step up. I was hoping it might be one of Seattle's tight ends, obviously. Noah Fant got the touchdown. Uh, Kobe Parkinson made a couple of plays. We saw Treadwell and, and Goodwin make a couple of plays. But I was hoping to see somebody step up and be a little bit more dynamic than we saw. You saw the miscommunication with Treadwell and Goodwin in the corner of the end zone. Geno Smith throwing the ball high and wide and wound up getting one of them intercepted. Another one that should it was almost intercepted. Uh, you know, obviously the, the Treadwell getting uh, tackled short of the line to gain on one of the fourth down plays. It was just there were it, it looked like this was a team that obviously needs more time to gel and Seattle simply doesn't have that time. And so it just showed how much of a crutch, frankly, I think that Tyler Lockett has been for Seattle's quarterbacks over the last several seasons because he is as reliable as it gets. And when you get him the football, then he knows exactly where the sticks are. Yeah, that was really the thing that was noticeable to me is that the receivers that were stepping up for him we're not getting behind the sticks and maybe it was just the play call, but I mean, Tyler Lockett just has that innate ability to be able yeah. to 
put himself behind the sticks and get just enough for the first down. And they really missed that in this game going two for 14. And I just want to point that again, they were two for 14 in this game, 14% on third down. They were one. And I believe it was one in 11 in the Buccaneers game or one for nine. It was, it was another really poor percentage around 10%. They have had multiple games during this really rough patch where in fact, all five losses, they've had less than 50% third down conversion rate. You just can't win games consistently when you're doing that. And it's put the defense in a bind a lot of the time. And we've talked so much about the defense struggling. We'll get to more of that here in a few minutes. But the offense has put them in positions. Even in games where they've scored a lot of points, the Raiders game, they still were not very good on third down most of the game. And especially late, that ended up hurting them. And the defense gets put right back on the field. And they've spent so much time out there. And the time of possession skewed heavily to the other team. And that has just been – it's the recipe that Pete Carroll wants his team to do. And it's getting done to them consistently, week in, week out. And it, a lot of it just keeps going back to what I talked about earlier. If you're not doing well on first and second down consistently on offense, it truly does have a domino effect on everything else with your football team. They're not sustaining drives. They're not finishing them. And when they are getting deeper into territory for Kansas City, for example, they had the ball at the 34 closer three different times in the second half and got no points to show for it. You just can't have that happen. You have got to find a way to get at least three points on every single one of those drives. And we might be having a much different discussion. I think this was the opposite of the 49ers game where it was an eight-point game, but it didn't feel that close. This is one that they lost by 14, but it felt like it was within reach for most of the game in large part because of what the defense was doing, the fact that they get the run game going in the second half under center. Thank you, Shane Waldron. Getting the under center run game going, all four of their longest runs in the second half, all under center. So good to see them getting back to that. It was a positive development. There was just a lot going for them that made it seem like they could win this game, and yet you just can't finish drives on the offensive side of the football. And that continues to be the theme because there's too many bad third-down situations. They're not converting third downs as a result. They're not sustaining drives. Going for it six times on fourth down. I mean, I guess I like the aggression, but they were putting themselves in a spot because they weren't getting good third down situations consistently. And then you're putting everything on the defense. And it's really difficult to beat average teams in the NFL when you have that formula, let alone a potential Super Bowl winner like the Kansas City Chiefs. You just can't do that. There's too many mistakes, not enough efficiency and production of this game to win on offense, even though there were some bright spots that maybe they could build off of for these last two games in the 2022 season. We're going to get to the defensive side of the football coming up next. We've had a lot of negatives on that side of the ball for the last month and a half. I feel like maybe the tone's going to be a little different, even though the Seahawks lost this game in Kansas City. We'll dish out our Monday musings on the defensive side of the football coming up next here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Did you know that driving high is considered driving under the influence? That's right. Driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every state, even in states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high could get you a DUI. And if you think law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're wrong. Your friends can tell, your coworkers can tell, even your parents can tell. Everyone can tell. So what makes you think law enforcement officers don't know when you're driving high? Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time and change how you perceive time and speed. So even if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you're not. Because the bottom line is if you feel different, you drive different. And driving high is driving under the influence. So remember, drive high, get a DUI. Paid for by the NHTSA. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined in our post-Christmas episode by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And thanks to all the 12s out there, as always. 
for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate your support. Let's continue our Monday musings now, Rob, on the defensive side of the football, maybe sprinkle in some special teams in here since we're doing a little bit more of an extended Monday musings than we typically do, even though the Seahawks gave up 24 points in this game. Kind of similar to the offensive side. You had all that yardage. You couldn't finish your drives off. On defense, the Seahawks did a lot of really good things in this football game. And in particular, they forced four three and outs in this game. That was the most of any defense against the Chiefs in a single game this year. They forced six punts in this football game. They held the Chiefs to a season low for total yards. I mean, there's a lot of really encouraging things on defense. And yet it was once again, those couple of explosives and they had no margin for error because the offense wasn't doing anything most of the game, but they gave up just a handful of explosive plays, and that ultimately did them in in what was a pretty low-scoring affair. Yeah, it really was. I mean, if not for just a moment of you know Patrick Mahomes basically doing his Superman impression, um, then you know I think that this really would have been a much closer game, not only on the scoreboard but just the way that it felt. I, I think that some of it was I, I thought that Andy Reid, head coach Eric Bieniemy, his offensive coordinator, the Chiefs, of course. I wonder if maybe they took their foot off the gas pedal a little bit. Clearly, Kansas City was sloppy, just an awful lot of drop balls. And yeah. there were some throws I think that Patrick Mahomes could have taken back as well. But I think you make a good point, Corbin. Um, you know, I, I think that when you looked at the way that Seattle was unable to finish their drives, as we talked about, Seattle was 2 of 14 on third down. Well, Kansas City wasn't much better. Kansas City was 3 of 11 on yep. third down and obviously some of that has to do with the fact that it was frigid in that game but the wind wasn't nearly as much of a factor as i thought that it might be and obviously anybody who watched the game know that there wasn't a single snowflake out there uh, on the field or in the sky during the game itself so that wasn't the case it was cold clearly but i didn't think that that was much as much of an impact i i really was fairly impressed by how seattle's defense played and again i think that some of that was i think the kansas city thought they could just win this game on talent alone, and they did. But at the same time, I really thought that Kansas City might be able to just blow the barn doors down in this football game. And so I got to give Seattle some credit. I thought that they played the run stiffer than I thought that they'd be able to do. And as you mentioned, Seattle limited – limited Kansas City's ability to create the big chunk plays. There was a couple, uh, you know, certainly to Travis Kelsey down the stretch that that hurt. Um, but at the same time, I thought the Seattle played better team defense than I've seen them play for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, they really did. And, you know, you mentioned the Kelsey plays that happened on their last touchdown drive. Up to that point, I thought they played phenomenal defense on Travis Kelsey. They had the third down pass breakup by Jonathan Abram. That was one of the defensive plays of the game because – it's difficult to defend Kelsey in normal circumstances, but when it is a broken play where the quarterback is letting his receivers continue to run around, I mean, he and Kelsey normally murder teams with that. And Abrams stuck with him the whole time, got his hands on the football, knocked it away. I thought they did a pretty good job on Kelsey with that 52-yarder where he got by Jordan Brooks. Brooks just didn't pick him up in coverage. That was the one big miss they had. Otherwise, I mean, you can live with him getting a few 20-plus-yard catches. It's Travis Kelsey. is one of the best tight ends ever played the game. I thought, to that point, they did a really good job. I thought they did a better job of limiting stuff after the catch. There were, there were some missed tackles, in particular on a screen in the first half that led to their field goal that made it a 17-0 game. But – Away from that, I thought they did a lot of really good things. The run defense, after a kind of rough start, they turned things around, got some really nice early down plays where they were able to hold 
uh, the running game for the Chiefs to fewer than two yards, and that really set him in good position. I thought the interior pressure, Quentin Jefferson in particular, I thought that that was really valuable in this game. They didn't get the sacks. They only had one sack on Mahomes. He's very difficult to get to, but they got him off of his pocket. They didn't let him get comfortable a lot of the time, and there were some throws that he fired into the dirt because he had defensive tackles bare and enough pressure he comfortable with the coverage being pretty good in the back half. And, oh, by the way, Patrick Mahomes, he tested Tariq Woolen, I believe, twice in the entire game, one of them for a six-yard completion. The other one, he's lucky it wasn't picked in the end zone when we saw the recovery speed once again for Tariq Woolen. So, I again, I thought the back half of the defense played really well for the most part. Their coverage breakdowns looked like they were on the linebackers and maybe your safeties in the box for the most part. But the coverage in the back was really good. They got interior pressure. They had some nice rushes from the outside, particularly in the second half. Daryl Taylor getting after the quarterback for the only sack. Again, there's a lot of positives here. You obviously are going to nitpick because there were some missed tackles. There were some explosives given up. But, man, if the Seahawks offense could have just punctuated a few of those drives with a field goal, maybe a touchdown mixed in here or there, that defense, the way they played, you got to believe that they would have found a way to maybe win this football game. That's how well the defense played. I mean, you get four, three and outs, you hold them to a season low in yardage. I mean, they checked off almost every box you need on defense. The only thing that was really missing was creating the turnover. They didn't get that done. But otherwise, again, this is a game you can't take moral victories from an NFL game, especially when you're in a playoff race. But I think Pete Carroll has a lot of reasons to be encouraged on that side of the football. Offense is where you have more major concerns going into these last two games, just with the way things are trending on early downs in particular. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, and, and again, I, I think that anytime you are defending against Patrick Mahomes, you, you know that he is going to be able to create some big plays, but you just look at his completions. I mean, it's 16 of them, and six of them went to Travis Kelsey, we talked about. You can't stop him, only hope to contain him. Um, and then other than that, there was three catches to Jarek McKinnon, there was three catches uh, to Juju Smith-Schuster, and then basically there was three or four other guys who had one catch each. Um, you know, so again, the the fact that Seattle was able to limit, you know, a, a quarterback as gifted as Patrick Mahomes and stay in the football game, if they had been able to create that turnover, if DK Metcalf had been able to drag that second foot, there just it did feel like there were moments <clears throat> where Seattle could have made this a, a game. Um, and again, I have my hesitancy in saying that Kansas City, I thought, you know, just maybe wasn't quite as, uh, you know, juiced up for this football game. I think that they thought that they could just win this game. But still, I think that they left the door open a little bit. It would be nice to see Seattle just kind of push the door open that much further and get themselves into this game. We, you mentioned the fact that uh, we don't get a chance very often to tout special teams. I thought special teams. Again, played a solid game, and Gawa Igwebuke again, um, and the kick return. You're talking about it's difficult to find those, you know, bright spots in a game as disappointing as this one was. But Igwebuke uh, as a kick returner, I think, has definitely been a key pickup for Seattle. And again, should just give John Schneider and the rest of Seattle scouts that much more willingness to be to be free to to go out in there and try and find the best players they possibly can because obviously there's only two weeks to go but you're still got to compete until the very last whistle 
Yeah, and Iguibuke, he did have one big mistake muffing a kickoff. And ironically, that was one of the drives the Seahawks actually went down and scored. They yeah. got that field goal to end the first half. But he had another return that he got past midfield, and then they were stuffed on fourth down a few plays later. It seems like they're getting at least one really nice return from him every game. And that's why he was picked to promote from the practice squad for good with Joey Blunt going on his reserve today. So we will get to see Iguibuke here these last couple of games because of what he's done on kickoff return, maybe setting, setting himself up to be the guy next year for the Seahawks, and that would be a cheap alternative, a guy that's really explosive. And, oh, by the way, if you have a bunch of injuries in safety, he can play safety for you in a pinch after starring in that position at Northwestern. So glad you're giving him kudos. And I mentioned on the show in our postcast the other day as well, going back, I just continue to be amazed by Michael Dixon because those were not good conditions to punt the football when it's yep. that cold. You are punting a boulder, and yet he was kicking bombs in that weather. And really he, he was getting a lot of these punts deep in Seattle's territory. The chiefs were going to have good field position to begin with, but he was still knocking them back past midfield enough that the Seahawks were able to get a few stops there. Whereas if it would have been on the other side of the 50, probably getting at least three points. So I do think that Michael Dixon was a difference maker in this one more than we've seen him in any game up to this point, especially considering the elements. So special teams continues to be an area of strength for the Seahawks team, even as they stumble in the win-loss column. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on YouTube. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, a bunch of other major platforms as well. Subscribe for free to the platform of your choice. Coming up tomorrow, we'll be back with Tell the Truth Tuesday, dishing out some hot takes coming out of this game, and, of course, shifting our focus to Mike White, now back healthy for the New York Jets in a must-win home game in Week 17. Hope you'll be joining us. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.